0: Welcome to another episode of The Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. I am your host, Blaine Bartlett. Today we've got a very special episode. Uh, My guest has been on the show before, back in uh, 2021, in the middle of the pandemic, so to speak. Um, And I wanted to have him back on the show because he's got a very interesting, what I say here, take on uh, living life. Uh, Dr. Mark Golston... Uh, was recently diagnosed with a terminal illness, and he is actually making it part of his uh, remaining life's journey to talk about what it means to be facing mortality. And how does this apply to the soul of business? Well, it actually does because it applies to the way that we as human beings tap into that soul that gives expression or at least makes it possible to give expression to all that we experience in life. And Mark has got a pretty unique vantage point uh, to speak about this. So without further ado, I want to welcome Dr. Mark Golston to the show. Mark, let's start by just kind of talking about and having you open the door to where you'd like to
1: take this.
2: It's like mortality is my co-pilot. And um, oh. and it's teaching me things about life, or or causing them to be important. Whereas I don't think I treated them that way. And so I'm okay. I'm mentally getting better every day because it's clearer and clearer to me uh, what what i want to and need to share with the world that i've learned from 50 years of listening to the world and it, yeah. it's almost like some some divine entity is is telling me share this with the world and i actually have a series okay. on youtube and tiktok called i'm dying to tell you and they're like 4 to yeah. 12 minute videos that I'm just sharing with the world. Now, and physically, uh, you know, I have this illness. It's uh, right now it's called high-risk MDS, myelodysplastic syndrome. And I'll probably need a bone marrow transplant, but everything's lining up. Uh, I have a donor. Actually, I have three donors. My children all match, so that's a big deal. And it's not exactly a walk in the park because you're isolated in the hospital for a month. And then for five or six months, you need to stay kind of undercover with a, a 24-7 caregiver. And yeah. uh, and I'm learning things. So here here's one of the first things I want to share with you, and I think you'll echo it. I, I've never realized the importance of a team. Because I have the best doctor I've ever had in my life. 265 five-star uh-huh. patient reviews. I've never seen that with a doctor. And I can tell you, Dr. Ron Paquette, hematologist, uh, transplant uh, specialist at Cedar sinai he's amazing. And I think if I had a lousy doctor and team, I'm not sure I would feel so okay in just turning it over. I did meet with someone who was really bright but incredibly arrogant. Someone I would be intimidated to call and ask a question, and I, and I yeah. think that at least mm-hmm. adds fifty percent to my calmness. So I think it's really important, as a saying: higher, slow, fire fast. <laughs> so so. <laughs> it took a while to you know to get through to these people because what happens is people are trying to get through to these some of the best doctors and it's really difficult and then what happens is when you get through to them and you meet with them face to face you become a person you know you're not just a a name that's trying to get through to them and so uh yeah. i think i had him at a low because our first meeting was so terrific i said to him you know Win, lose, or die, I'm good to go.
0: That's you can't beat that as a philosophy or as an outlook on life.
2: Yeah, you know, and I use
0: the both terms advisedly here. Yeah, that's yeah, you know,
2: so, so I'm, so I'm, do, I'm doing I, fine. Yeah, and I'll tell you this yeah. uh, here's another thing. Uh, <laughs> I have never had so much interest in me in my entire life,
1: interest in you.
2: Well, in what I'm going through, because yeah, yeah, uh, I, I mean, one host on a podcast said, "You know, you're you're in the, you're you're dealing with the ultimate elephant in the room."
0: That is very true.
2: <laughs> and I have a sen- I have a sense of humor. I said, "You know, here's the fact of the matter: everybody who has ever lived has died, and if they can do it, so can I." Yeah exactly as a matter of fact i want to do it really well
1: <laughs> yeah 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 and so I, 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 the, the, the,
0: I love that the fact that you've got a smile on your face right now and those of you that are listening i invite you to go over to the youtube channel and, and just you know watch this uh podcast not just listen to the podcast uh you know yeah i've known mark for a while and um you have always struck me as somebody that has a true north orientation to to what you do in life i mean um, you, you know, just the work that you've done yeah you know, you know, for fifty years uh you you can't be dallying all you know, and you know, just kind of you know, unmoored in, in doing the work that you've done, and now it's focusing back on you. And I, and I love you, know, you. Just began, you know. When I asked how you were doing, you know, mortality is my co-pilot, and that notion, you know, the Stoics talk about, um, you know, the the whole idea of memento mori, yeah, you know, remember I must die, um, from a philosophical perspective, which is an invitation to embrace death as a, is is literally the ultimate outcome of living. So it's not so much am I going to die? The question then becomes, how am I living? How am I living? So, yeah, you know, the the uh, YouTube series that you're doing right now, um, you know, these mini conversations, what are they primarily focusing on? I mean, did, I know they're on your journey, but you know, specifically, what are you seeing emerge as something that is salient, something that you really are, you know, kind of provoked to share, I guess would be the word I would use.
2: Well, it's, um, I think I've always, Warren Bennis was one of my mentors, and he said, you are an articulate intuitive. Uh-huh. Uh, I didn't quite understand it, but I thought, this is a huge compliment. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, and so, you know, I have a podcast. You've been on it. My wake-up call, we're up to 560 episodes. It's done pretty well. and. Uh, but I, and I'm the host, and I interact with my guests, so most of them remember being on the podcast because it's more like a conversation. But they're the guests. And, uh, and so now I'm being sought out as a guest talking about this. But I'll give you a couple episodes to whet you and the listeners' appetite. So the very first yeah. episode was Michelangelo dying. And what that was about is supposedly Michelangelo said, I saw the angel in the marble and I carved till I set it free. Mm -hmm. And what's happened is I've seen everything that's unimportant in life and everything that's unimportant in my life, and I just lopped it off. I just said goodbye, you know, and, and what it revealed that was left, was radiant. And I think you can do this earlier in life. Yeah. But if you could sit back and, and you can imagine it's the end of your life just to get you motivated. And th- think of it, if you're looking back and you were to say, what were the unimportant things in life that I spent or wasted a lot of time on? I think you could already mm-hmm. come up with those and then hopefully make a oh, commitment yeah. And I've been able to keep the commitment because, you know, I don't have all the time in the world. Uh, One of the other ones that might be interesting to your audience, even though it's the soul of business, it's still about business. Uh, There was an episode called Visionary Dying. Because uh, Mm -hmm. actually for for a year and a half, I did a one-man show called Steve Jobs Returns. And I played Steve Jobs coming back to Apple from 96 to 2007 when he announced the iPhone. And I channeled my inner a-hole. I had a lot of fun with that. and uh, <laughs> But I also realized the way visionaries look at the world, Steve Jobs and Elon Musk, and this is probably worth writing down if you're listening or watching and applying it to yourself. They, It's what I call the three Ds of visionary leadership. First, they define reality, and they define reality not just in the realm of what's impossible, in the realm of what's unimaginable. And they're able to sort of see that. And one of the reasons that visionaries are able to see that is they are what I call first class noticers, and they see the unknown as an adventure to be lived. Whereas the Mm -hmm. majority of people see the unknown as a danger to be avoided. So they throw themselves into it. I love that. And when their controlling personality gets the best of that, they take psychedelics. (laughs) They go on a trip. You know, geez, I'm getting a little bit too rigid (laughs) here. My personality is overtaking me. I better take some uh, psychedelics to see if I can, you know, step up my going into the unknown. So they define reality. The next is they declare their intention to make it so. And one of the ways they declare their intention is they immediately stop a lot of projects that, you know, they were sort of invested in, but they really weren't working. They didn't know why they were continuing them. I think Steve Jobs did that with a number of projects when he said, let's go build a Macintosh. Yes. I think he let go of a bunch of things. And then the third is they decide strategy. And the strategy is how to get that done. And visionaries, that's what they focus on. And uh, I think one of the first things they need to do is hire someone to deal with all the people stuff. Because visionaries can't stand people. Because people are messy. Right. And most visionaries are a little bit now. on the spectrum. Yeah, uh, and, and and many visionaries are a little bit on the spectrum. So they're, they're hyper-focused. And uh, mm-hmm. and so I applied that to dying. So uh, I define my reality and I've come up with what makes for a good death for me. And I think many people, and I saw it clear. One of my mentors was a psychologist named Dr. Ed Schneidman. He was a death and dying specialist. And he referred me all these suicidal patients that I saw for many years. And he also sent me out on house calls to dying patients. And he wrote an article, a good death, and I have all the criteria except for you know live until you're ninety i'm seventy five you know if I can squeak out you know ten years, that's a home run. five years is pretty good, and it could be considerably less so mm-hmm. uh, and to me, I'll just share some of the criteria for good death is I'm not into pain and suffering, so having a good doctor.
1: <laughs> and apparently,
2: apparently, I'm stoic. I had a bone marrow biopsy two days ago. still have the bandages on my back. And they did it, you know, my hematologist did it, just did it, you know, in the clinic, uh, uh, put in a little local anesthesia. And I didn't flinch. And my mm-hmm. wife was there, and, and he looked at my wife and said, what's with your husband? And I'm saying, I'm sorry if I'm disappointing you, but I, I don't really feel it. And so uh, so I really have a lot of trust and confidence in him. So I think pain yeah. and suffering is going to be minimized. Second thing, I have a pathology. I can't stand being a burden to anyone. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, and I think part of it came from the fact that my dad could be a little on the negative side and a little bit intrusive. And I miss him. He did the best he could. But I think I internalize. When I grow up, I'm not going to be a burden to anyone, and it's part of my DNA. It's it's one of the reasons I have very I have trouble asking for anything. I have trouble mm-hmm. receiving, caring, and help. Uh, so I, I want to give you a lesson about that. Um,
0: yeah, and, I'm gonna, that's going to be an interesting part of the journey.
2: Oh, absolutely. And so, uh, uh, so. Uh, I'm. Uh, my wife told me that she'll be okay financially, and I had a good cry for a half a day on that one. And my children are pretty much launched. And what's left is I'm I'm the visionary apparently of about seven projects, and I think they're pretty good visions. Some of them are game changers, and I want to make sure they go on. And then I mentor about forty people, and ten of them are certifiable geniuses. I mean, that will change the world. And I make two introductions a day. And Uh I'd like to see these geniuses, you know, be able to, uh, like, one of them, you know, really has a focus on helping Ukraine win the war and then rebuild itself. So I introduced them to RAND Corporation. Mm. Big thing. And, uh uh, and that led to they're now meeting with some of the senior people of Ukraine, because this person's a genius. <laughs> they really they 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 really could help in that regard. And uh, and then there th- then there's you know other things that make to me for a uh, for a good death. Uh, but but here's the lesson I want to share. And I might get emotional with you, but you'll allow that. Yeah. Uh, I really never let anyone care about me because I'm the caretaker. I'm the doctor. Mm-hmm. And about three months ago, you know, I was speaking to someone. Usually someone said, hey, how you doing? And I would usually say, I'm fine. What are you up to? And I didn't realize that I live to give and now I give to live. When I give to live, I'm coming from abundance. Yeah, And every time I'm giving to someone, I, I feel alive. I'm not very good at taking or asking for something. So about three months ago, you know, someone, I guess, apparently cares about me, said, how are you doing? And normally I'd say, I'm fine. What are you up to? And I said, well, I got a few issues. And he said, well, what, what's going on? And then something overtook me. And I said, I might be dying. I can feel it now. And I got emotional. Mm -hmm. And when I got emotional, I got embarrassed. And I started apologizing. I said, I'm so sorry. You know, I I apologize. I'm sorry. And since then, and I have a feeling you're going to join a club that's formed around me. Since then, everyone has said, don't apologize. Yes. And I said, but I'm I, I'm emotional. I'm embarrassed. And here's some of the feedback I've gotten that has been astonishing. The one person said,
1: you're not a burden, Mark. You're a gift.
2: Mm-hmm. And I said, how am I a gift? And he said to me, this is the most emotionally intimate conversation I've ever had. And that's not that unusual. If you talk to a lot of people, how emotionally intimate were you ever able to be with your dad? A lot of people say, not really. I mean, I knew what he liked. He knew what I liked. But he didn't really know me. I didn't really know him. Yeah. And and then another person said, "Uh, I envy you, Mark. And I'm thinking, this is crazy feedback. And I said, why? Well, what do you mean? He said, No, no, you can have your illness. I'm happy for you to have your illness. He said, But right now, you're being emotional means you feel safe with me.
1: Yes. Yep.
2: And you see it as emotional, but you're feeling safe with me and being that way. You are free. I've never trusted anyone. I've never felt that safe with anyone yeah. to, to feel free. That's yeah. what I envy.
1: You know, okay. I, I love this, this, you know, when
0: my dad was dying, I, yeah, <clears throat> yeah he was gone all the time. Um, uh, and so we never you know, had a real intimate relationship at all when I was growing up. You know, and we've talked a little bit about this before, but um, I remember you know, in the last couple of years uh, with him, uh, when I would go see him uh, at his place in Oregon, I, I would begin the, 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 you know, the, uh, uh, the visit with, tell me something I don't know about you. So instead of saying goodbye, because yeah, I knew he was dying, it was an exercise in saying hello. Yeah,
2: mm.
0: Just yeah. say hello. Uh, tell me something about you I don't know. And he would start regaling me with stories, you know, when he was 18. And uh, I mean, just, just I mean, so I, I got glimpses of him that I never had when he was in the role of father. Uh, I now was connecting with him um, in a way that, you know, Will Schutz, uh, Dr. Will Schutz, you know, was a mentor of mine at one point in time, well, actually for a a number of years. Um, He said, we connect through vulnerability. We connect through vulnerability. And I never put the the, the dots together in the way that you just connected them here um, around safety and safety equating to freedom. You know, when I'm vulnerable with somebody, by definition, I do feel safe. Around them, or I wouldn't be opening up. There's that that notion of uh, I, I I trust you to let me be seen for what's going on with me at this point in time.
2: So, uh,
0: and there is such a I, gift in that.
2: So I want to tap into a little bit of your vulnerability. You're willing. You're willing to uh, uh, trust me on this.
0: Oh, absolutely. The nature of life is evidenced in nature. Nature grows, and all of nature honors the desire to be more, to have more, and to do more. Life thrives when it's allowed to grow. And ideally, thriving is what we also, all of us, want to be able to do. Unfortunately, at some stage in life, most people find themselves settling into what I can only call a rut. And a rut is nothing more than a coffin with the ends kicked out. You want to quickly get out of any rut that you find yourself in. When you stop growing, that's when the coffin starts to appear. You know, the simple truth is this, and this is true for everything in nature. You're going to die. I'm going to die. Every one of us dies. So the question we need to come to grips with is not, are we going to die? The question nature asks us to answer is, are we truly living? That's what motivation is about. It's the desire to move. It's the desire to grow and to excel. Have I lived? How have I lived? I'd love for you to take advantage of my Leadership Mindset Masterclass. It's all about providing you with the tools to ensure thriving for yourself and for those around you. Register today to receive the free introduction video and find out more about this acclaimed program. You'll also receive a copy of my international number one bestseller, Compassionate Capitalism, A Journey to the Soul of Business. I'm Blaine Bartlett, and I look
2: forward to helping you thrive. So I love that question. Tell me something I don't know about you. And if you're listening or watching this, save that question. After that person answers, The second question is, what was that like for you? So, if I were to say to you that he started to answer and tell you things that you'd never heard before, and you listened to the telling of it, what was that like for you? There was
0: the 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 way that I answer that I'm just kind of reflecting on this. There was the experience of warmth. Mm. I was, I noticed just, and I do notice in my memory about just leaning in with a smile. Mm. There was this sense of actually reverence and awe uh, because there was a you know a 78 year old man uh, sitting in front of me at that point. And this goes back uh, a number of, a number of years. Um, but I haven't seen him in the way that he was describing himself. And to be able to see him in that story being that young eighteen year old, you know, driving his Model A over the <laughs> the coast range in in rural Oregon on an old logging road. I, I mean I could just imagine that. And I knew my dad well enough, you know, to know that he actually loved to drive. I mean, he was a truck driver. That was one of the one of his vocations. He loved to drive. And I could just, yeah. You know, and I still do. I, I I feel it in my heart. Yeah, uh, there was this reverence. There was just this reverence for a life that is, you know, being reminisced about, but is informing who I see in front of me right now. There's this. There's this being, not my father. There's just this mensch. <laughs> I mean, It really was in the in the truest the meaning of that word that was
2: sitting in front of it's,
0: it's, me, and I, so, so I would almost I wanna, invariably I would get up with a tear in my eye and I'd hug it.
2: So I'm going to give you because oh. sometimes I give people sometimes I give people words for their feelings that they're not in touch with, and I and I'd like you to repeat this back to me. I'm taking a chance because it may land flat, but if you could say to me and lean into it. You know, Mark,
1: I felt closer to him- mm-hmm. is, that, is that true yeah, oh, absolutely yeah what yeah.
0: was what was really beautiful for me was when he- when he did die. uh mm. I didn't feel as if there was anything left unsaid, and there were no questions that I was left with. And that intimacy is is kind of the, the catalyst for that ex- ultimate experience, I guess. I mean, I don't want to intellectualize it, but that that really was the experience. It uh it, it, there was a completion. I guess that would be actually the, the nest or the net of the the the, the process. I felt complete
1: mm-hmm. with
0: that relationship. Mm-hmm. And not in a, yeah complete in the sense that I'm done with it, but just complete in the sense there's nothing unfinished here. It is a it's 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 a
2: it's a holy hole. Uh, I'll tell you a, a quirky story. I don't know. If quirky is not the right word. But, you know, my, but my my dad was hardworking. He wasn't particularly introspective. And something I always wanted from him was some wisdom about life. But towards the end, he developed uh, uh, Alzheimer's. And I kind of went into a funk because I remember there was one phone call where, and he used to be a real tough, intimidating guy. And he said on the phone, oh, 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 I'll put your mom on. And afterwards, (laughs) I said to my wife, I I said, I'm not going to get from him what I still need. No, and then it went on, and it, uh, it, it's amazing how you lose dignity when you lose your mind. Hmm. And so there we are, uh, we were at the funeral, and my immediate family had a viewing of the coffin, and then, then it came out in front. And, and really, as God is my witness, what I'm about to tell you is true. You know, there he was lying, I guess he had had a stroke, and... Uh, you know, the morticianers had you know, try to straighten things out, you know, one of the sides of his cheek was like that. And I leaned over and I kissed him and I heard heard his voice as loud as I'm hearing yours. And he said, don't treat a big thing like a little thing and don't treat a little thing like a big thing. Don't do what I did. So I got my piece of wisdom.
1: Yeah. Amazing what we'll do in order
2: to, yeah, it's amazing what we'll do to, in order to feel complete. Uh, I did want to share my vulnerability story and say, you might want to join this club. It's, It's what I call my 700 club because these people I've been speaking to. And when I just open up to them, Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting because some of them are on the spectrum and they'll look at me and I'm opening up. And they'll, and one in particular, he, you know, big CEO, he was in good to great. And, and he's like twisting his face like this. And, and, and he doesn't, it's as if he was thinking what Mark is doing right now is really important. And I'm not sure I get it, but what he's doing is really important. You know, I was just being emotionally real with him.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: And he said, it's not a a burden, Mark. It's an honor. And then he started off this club, and he said, Mark, 24-7. You can call me 24-7. Yep. And most of them have said, count me into the 24-7 club. <laughs> and, and some of these <laughs> people that up. you and I, yeah, uh, hey, one of our mutual friends, and we know him well. And I guess I got a motion with Marshall Goldsmith.
0: Oh, Marshall! I yeah. mean, it's
2: tough to pin. It's tough, tough to pin Marshall down. And I can tell you, with these people, if I had some cockamamie business idea uh, that I chased after them about, well, they would ghost me. Well, thank you, Mark. I don't think I really have time. And, you know, I'm doing a lot of things. And all these people are busy. Uh, but nearly all of them have said, sign me up 24-7. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not going to call any of them. And, and here's the other thing that I realized. Uh, it's a combination of vu- vulnerability without helplessness. Because I think sometimes helplessness is oh I don't know what to do and then you try to be sympathetic and you uh, but apparently I don't come off helpless with the vulnerability it just it just bubbles no. up and and there you go and 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 you know and people have said it's mesmerizing oh <laughs> you know, I, I'm, yeah I'm I'm like a deer in the headlights of a human being <laughs> <laughs> who's this in front of me. <laughs>
0: Well, you know, there, I think there is a really interesting paradox between the kind of vulnerability that we're speaking about uh, because it you know, it does not foster helplessness. You, you know, I think mm-hmm. it takes great strength to be that vulnerable, truly. And it doesn't mean I necessarily know what I'm doing next, but I'm willing to stand in that uncertainty. And that's that's the power. And it's also the invitation. To join with and this goes all the way back to your very you know one of your very opening comments about you know the value of a team you know having somebody there that uh yeah, yeah is yeah, an advocate for who you are as well as what you're what you're in the midst of, so that I remember when my my late wife was dying um her oncologist I love this guy. Uh, and he's retired now. His name is Hank uh, Henry Kaplan, Dr. Henry Kaplan, uh, hematologist, uh, hematological oncologist. I mean, big, big titles. But he was one of the most uh, empathetic, one of the most caring, one of the most genuine, and one of the most authentic human beings I have ever met in my life. He was always available. And I, the day that she died, uh, about an hour and a half after she had passed, I was in the you know, coming out of her mm-hmm. hospital room, and his office was you know, in the in the whole uh, Swedish system here in the Seattle area. I knew where his office was i 'd been there a thousand times uh, so I went down the elevator and went into his office uh, just to say thank you uh, basically just to say mm-hmm. thank you and I walked in the office and he saw me. And he looked at his charge nurse or his uh, scheduling nurse and said, you know, cancel the next hour and a half. I'll, I'll reschedule. Mm. I'll stay late to you know, pick it up or whatever, but cancel the next hour and a half. I didn't ask him for anything. I, I just showed up and he said, come in. And we sat down for the next hour. He was just there. And I was I was you know, gobsmacked by, the, by his presence, by his vulnerability, by his willingness to just be with you know the experience that is accompanying you know that whole process of passing. And uh, and I was genuinely moved, still am moved. I mean I, I I I feel this every time I talk about him. And that takes for in my estimation, it takes great courage, great strength, and a great capacity just to uh recognize that this is a holy moment, and I don't mean that in a religious sense I mean it in the sense of wholeness there's there's things that are closing yeah you know, connecting coming to fruition you know, so it's like my conversations with my dad you know, there's a, there's 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 reverence in, in 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 connecting but there's also uh celebration in closing. And I walked out of his office at the end of that hour, hour and a half. And and I yeah, and I entered the window of grief at that point in time, but I did I, I entered it um from the perspective of having been seen and heard,
1: which was you know, such something a
2: gift. You, Something you may not under have st understood. Uh, and some of these other people that I've spoken. Uh, one person said, so you gave him yeah. a gift of receiving his caring and his being able to see that it made some kind of a difference in terms of comforting you in such a difficult time. And I thought, yeah. what an ironic statement that you gave him the gift of receiving his caring and, and, and having it help. You know, people yeah. used to say to me, you know, you were yeah. a suicide prevention specialist. It must have been really depressing doing that for thirty five years. And I said, it was actually a gift because when I could have a conversation with someone and they and I and what I would do is and, and it was simple. Uh, you know, I, I try to simplify things, uh, but you know, uh, healthcare systems complicate them, so uh, the barriers to entry <laughs> are just yes. you know, always stop me. But my approach to suicidal patients, and if you're worried about someone who's depressed in your in your life, my whole approach was: how can we have a conversation that lessens their hurt sufficiently so they let go of death as the only way to take the pain away? How can, how can we be interacting, and I coined a term, surgical empathy, mm-hmm. going in and severing their psychological adhesion to death as being compassionate to taking their pain away. And what I realized is when I could join people in the dark night of the soul as opposed to throwing treatments at them, uh, so I would join them there, and I'd keep them company there. They would start to cry because all they'd ever felt was alone there.
1: Yeah,
2: and and the more they could see that I wasn't rushing them into the treatment, which modern day doctors and psychiatrists, psychologists don't have the time to do. They don't have that hour and a half because someone's on their back. That what would happen is that connection spontaneously transitioned into hope. Mm-hmm. So that was my approach, you know, connect with people as deeply as you can, wherever they are, so that they feel you're right next to them as opposed to rushing them into something. And yeah. then you get it right with surgical empathy. And they would look at me like, why are you doing this? And i look at them and I said, you really shouldn't be alone right now
1: mhm yeah you shouldn't
2: but, but can you see how that how that works how uh, you know when they feel less alone enough to start crying with relief mhm you know that hope starts to reveal itself uh
1: yeah
2: i mean with some of, you know. some of them they would say some of them they would say here's an insight i want to give you from A good friend of mine, I guess I'm one of her mentors, Melissa Bernstein. She and her husband have one of the most successful toy companies in the country, Melissa and Doug. If you have grandchildren, Mm -hmm. these are these great little toys. And uh, it'll come back to me. Well, anyway, I I just think that one of the greatest gifts you can give someone is to be there with them, and then spontaneously, they will ask for treatment. Well, Dr. Yep. Goulston, don't you think we should be talking about treatment? Well, your parents are certainly curious what the heck we're doing here. Are you ready? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't want to rush you in this healing process, you know.
0: But <laughs> yeah, we need to move along here. Yeah. Yeah, you, know, you 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 used you know the two you know you used a single word there, but it triggered another word in my mind being with them, and so often I find mm-hmm. that you know we we think that we need to be there for them, and I don't believe that being there for somebody is as good or as useful or as generative or as healing as being with
1: them. Is, is What's that, that a interesting? Affair affair, I love in your experience.
2: Uh, no, I, uh, I would say the way to be there for them is to be with them. Yeah. Because something else I brought on in these interviews is dying is not happening to me, it's happening for me.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, and it's enabled me to realize stuff that I never could have realized, you know, before this happened. And so every day, uh, I'm realizing things like some of the things I've shared with you, Michelangelo dying, visionary dying, the power of vulnerability. Um, And so I think the prospect of dying is here for me because it's just just teaching me wondrous things. And I feel one of the reasons I feel a sense of urgency to get it out is I could be wrong, but if I do the transplant, which it looks like I'm gonna do, one of the side effects can can be long-term uh cognitive uh uh problems. And in my mm-hmm. mind I'm thinking, you know, you know, I'm not gonna lose the ability to dress myself and you know, and just be sort of a dumbass dad, dumbass grandpa, you know, doting on everything. I'll be able to do that. But my creative ability, my ability uh-huh. to be reasonably articulate, that could go. Yeah. And I hope. And if it does, I hope I'm a good sport. But I'm mm-hmm. rushing to share, you know, whatever I'm learning, I got to get it out.
0: Got to get it. You know, Mark, it's interesting that you mentioned the dark night of the soul. And I've always wrestled with that notion. I... For me it, it you know, particularly when I look at it through the lens of you know the ending of my life you know this, this 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 transitional cycle, it comes up more as a as a dark night of the ego that allows for the emergence of the soul. Mm. You know, the light of the soul to actually begin to emerge mm. fully. Because when you, you know you started off at you know, the beginning of our conversation here. Oh, I love that. Know, I'm, I'm whopping things off, you know, things that I don't need. And a lot of that is egoically structured. So the dark and, and the ego does not like to die. <laughs> it just kind of, yeah, you know, no, no, no. It'll get kicking and screaming into the night. So it's, for me, it's the dark night of the ego that, uh, yeah, is is causing it causes the suffering that people experience when they get close to the end of their uh, their lifespan. And can, that attachment to that sense of who I was or who I was supposed to be.
2: So, so I want I want to I want to respond to that, and I and and Warren Bennis when he gave me a supreme compliment, uh, and I would, you know, and I would. Be very neurotic about it. He said, Mark, I don't give them out just willy nilly. There's two words thank you. And if you make a big deal out of it, I'm not going to give you any more compliments. So here's my (laughs) compliment for you what you just said about the dark night of the ego to allow the light of the soul to shine through that is so brilliant. Thank you. You learn well.
1: Well, I have you in my life.
2: Absolutely, my friend.
0: Folks, we've been talking to Mark Goldstone, uh, Dr. Mark Goldstone. Um, Mark, where can people find out about the the video series that you're doing on YouTube? What's the uh, the best way for them to get connected to that?
2: Uh, So I think if you look up, I'm dying to tell you, Goldstone, YouTube, you'll find it. I think it's... uh, I think it's, I'm dying to tell you, Dr. Mark. Uh, And lagging behind it, but people are saying, you got to get it on TikTok. I have also a TikTok, I'm dying to tell you. Uh, That's lagging behind. But people who seem to want to uh, support my legacy say, you know, TikTok is kind of the future. So it's also there. Okay. And uh, here's something I'll I'll say to you. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. About about you. Because one of the things that also helps me stay alive is that I know you doing very well and the soul of business is terrific. But every now and then I run into people such as you and there's a much bigger game you could be playing. And maybe the soul of business is the bigger game. But uh, you know, to whatever extent that you know you want to ever brainstorm, what did you mean by that, Mark? Um it'd be my pleasure to have conversation with you.
0: Okay, I am going to take you up on that. I would love to find out you more will.
1: about what you mean by that. I truly would. Yeah.
0: So uh, I already
2: have I already have some ideas, so that'll be offline.
1: <laughs>
0: okay, I was gonna say I'm gonna circle back with you after we finish up here and we'll get something on the calendar in the nice next day or so. Uh,
2: <laughs> sounds good.
0: Right the iron is hot. Okay and i'll put the uh the contact information or the uh youtube and the tiktok information in the in obviously in the show notes and whatnot. So folks, you've been listening again to uh, the solo business of Blaine Bartlett. I am your host Blaine Bartlett. This has been just an incredibly I don't want to use the word moving. It's not moving. Uh enlightening uh enlivening. I think enlivening. This has been an enlivening interview. I, I have uh, I'm personally very touched and uh Listen to this. Listen to this episode a couple of times. I think there are some very interesting gems here that uh, Mark is sharing with us, and uh, it's it's good to revisit this. Okay, Mark, thanks a bunch, and I will circle back.